you're in for a treat today. Today, I am here speaking with my new friend, Claudia Noriega Bernstein. And um, we met on LinkedIn and she reached out to me, we connected, and you're going to know why pretty quickly, I think, as we dive into um, what what has influenced her to be who she is and what she does now. So Claudia, welcome to Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you. Well, um, just I know that you've listened to a few episodes of this podcast, and so I would love to start with a traditional question that I start. I guess traditional is kind of the wrong word for it, but it's a habit I have of starting it this way. Um, I always ask my guests to share something about themselves that other people might not know about them, not something that's on your LinkedIn bio or on your resume. And I do this so that our listeners get a, a more complete picture of who you are as they start to hear about where you were influenced and the things that happened in your life. So what do you think? Do you have something to share with us? Um, you know, when I, when I read that um, in your email, I was thinking about maybe I need to talk about something that I never shared before in my life. And, and I was getting like an anxiety attack for a moment, you know, because, <laughs> because when you share an episode of your life that is yours and is, and is private, you're not the only um, um, the only participant in that episode. You know, you mm-hmm. have other characters. So it's kind of like, okay, I want to talk about something that happened to me or whatever and this and that. And then I thought, no, maybe she just want to know if I have a hobby. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's everything. And I, different interviews have had different results from this. Um, I had one woman say, I just took a blacksmithing training. She lives in the D.C. area, and she went into rural Virginia to take a blacksmithing class in this workshop, and she made her own knife. And she was, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. My very first guest told me that she knows how to bone a corset because when she was in school for design, she was building a corset to go under a wedding gown and learned how to use whale bones, the official, the, the old school way of building a corset. So you just never know what's going to come out of that question. So, so okay, so I play the drums. <gasps> really? <laughs> yes. Since when? Were, were you a little girl when you learned? No, no. My ex-husband, the father of my children, um, he was a musician. So we always had a set of drums in the house and I taught myself and then um, I would have my times alone and I would either play a song in the computer and I tried to figure it out how to do it myself. So I'm a pain in the butt when when we are in a concert because I'm playing, I'm playing. (laughs) (laughs) It's a rhythm, but it was also a way to release you know stress and and I love music I'm Latin so I mean I love music I'm always singing I I I put makeup with music I music is a huge part of my life and I was lucky enough to have parents who um even though they divorced when I was very little uh, they both had their own identity so my mom was more into the classical music it was always you know, we heard um, that kind of that softer music at home. Well, my dad was more a bohemian. So he, I mean, the 60s, you know, he used to say, if you were in the 60s and you remember, you were not in the 60s. So <laughs> very opposite parents. Um, but I was exposed to music since I was very little. And so did my kids because of their dad. He was Italian. So his connection to the United States was music. So he um, always played, you know, all these and, and Frank Sinatra and Elvis and, you know, all the amazing music that we are not lucky enough to have now. You know, I listen to a song now and I'm like, why are they playing that in the radio? You know, <laughs> what is the message here? How is that going to make me richer emotionally? Are you kidding me? You know, so... I was very blessed to to have that exposure and I love music. So it was kind of easy for me to fall into 
playing some sort of instrument that was sitting in my living room. Oh, that's so terrific. Have you ever performed like with an audience? Who, my ex-husband? No, you. Never. Did you ever perform? Are you kidding me? Never. Oh, it's me. it's this a is, hobby. It's my thing. It's, it's your my, release. It's my thing because I enjoy it. And, you know, some people work um, 24-7. I, I, I don't. It's 24-6 because mm-hmm. on Mondays, I don't want to have anybody at home. My kids are already adults. I tell my husband, you know, take your yoga class until two o'clock or whatever you need to do after work that nobody has to come and clean the house or nothing. I just want my space. And those days I do what I want to do for myself, mm-hmm. um, which now I can't do it. For many years, I used to feel very guilty uh, to do things for myself, but now I don't. And I told my girls not to, um, to the point that I got in my membership to get a massage every month when they were, you know, teenagers and, and they continue paying their membership. And, and I said always to themselves, to, I mean, to them, if you take care of yourself, then you can take care of everybody else, you know, mm-hmm. but first you got to start with you, like in the plane, put that little mask on you first. Oh, so yeah. Mondays are my days to play drums, my days to sing, my days to do whatever I want to do. If I want to write, if I want to waste, you know, half an hour on social media and scrolling up, that's my day to do whatever pleases me. I love that. So many of our listeners can can understand that, but not necessarily act on it. And that is so meaningful to hear that because... I've been really focused on the concepts of identity, authenticity, and relevance. And one of the things so many people forget is that they are modeling these behaviors for their kids. So if they're searching for relevance in unproductive ways, they're modeling that for their kids. If they are searching for relevance in a way that keeps them, and I hate this word, busy all the time because they're they're searching for something was always internal, then they're modeling that for their children and their children will be influenced by all of the things that you don't want them influenced by. I love that you do that for your daughters because what that reminded me of was my mom, when I was a teenager, she had three teenagers at home. My sister was kind of a preteen. She's five years younger than I am. But I remember she went back to school. She had she had a degree in education and had been a teacher mostly substitute. She didn't really have her own classroom because she was raising kids. But when I was a teenager, she said, I have always wanted to be a nurse. I'm going back to school. And she graduated after four years with her bachelor's in nursing or RN, summa cum laude. So with high honors, wow. with three kids at home. Wow. And that's that's the modeling that I needed to say, oh, you don't have to stick with this. You can actually do something that is meaningful to you. You don't have to stay with something just because it's what you did before. Oh, oh no. I no, love no, that. no. And that's what, well, you know, um, um, that's the title of my journal is Don't Shrink to Fit because I believe that so strongly. You know, we oftentimes mm-hmm. shrink to fit in what we think everybody else wants from us or think we should do or, oh, you're going to go to school with three kids at home. Oh my God. You know, no, this is what I need. And good for her to show you that she needed, she needed to take care of her dreams and you need to take care of your dreams as well. Exactly. That's very empowering. And I love, I love that. I love that. And when I talk to my clients, you know, um, I always ask them, what's your dream? What do you want? What do you want? Not what your husband, your mom, your sister, your kids want. What do you want? And how can we make that happen? You know, I um, I don't have credentials to be a therapist, so I'm a coach. And, and not that I am very interested in knowing the past of... Um, the person because I don't feel I have the training to help them with that past, but I definitely can help them with the abundance they have in their life right now and Mm -hmm. to reach the new goals and the vision that they have for themselves um, Mm -hmm. in spite of that past. 
Exactly. And, and maybe because of it, because right. of what they've learned from those experiences, you know what you don't want. And when I'm talking to people who have recently broken up or, you know, had a sad breakup or whatever, I always say, you know, and don't write a laundry list of what you want in your next partner. Right. Write your list of deal breakers because that is going to be a smaller list and leave you far more open opportunities because you don't want to limit yourself and set arbitrary limits or boundaries on yourself. But I know that, um, you know, I have a handful of deal breakers for whether it's a, a client, there are clients I'll turn down because there's a couple deal, deal breakers in there. And if my red flags go up, so I love that. I love that you're talking about it in that sense. So when you think about um, a pivotal time in your life that helped you understand to take care of yourself, what what was that moment? Because I, I know mine, but and it's I think it's a series of moments. It's just not just one time that something changed, but when was a time that something changed in how you understood that what self-care meant for you and and how it benefits the people around you? I think um I think my whole life since I have memories I had a lot of limited beliefs about my words and it's kind of funny for a lack of a better word that when people look at me they don't have a clue that I ever struggle with that I mean if you take in consideration that when I was a teenager, I was a soap star, pretty much. Um, I was doing soap operas and I was very popular and I had all the attention. How this person can have those feelings for herself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know that I had a lot of moments in my life where that evidence of me now being worthy were in front of me and and I took him as a fact. So for many years, I carried that and it wasn't until, and I remember this very vividly, um, when I spent the first night after I got divorced from my ex-husband and I walk into my daughter's room and they were asleep. And my oldest one was six. Um, I'm sorry, she was five. I have that. Uh, when we got separated first time, my youngest one was 11, but I live a period of time in our house. And then I moved to an apartment. So at that point, she was like a year and a half, something like that. So they were very little. And when I look at them, immediately I remember me being five-year-old and the fear that I had when I was five-year-old and me telling my dad, take me with you because I was very close to him. And I have never talked about this ever. Um, I didn't understand what he didn't take me. So that was my first not worthy feeling. Uh, Abandonment, right? Yeah. It's like, why you're not taking me? You're not only leaving us, but you don't want to take me either. Um, And there were a series of events in my life that made me feel that way. But when I was standing at that door, looking at my girls and remembering that little girl, I never wanted them to feel that. So I made a promise to myself and I said, I am not going to be the person that I could be because I'm a victim of everything that happened to me. I am going to embrace this and I'm going to teach these girls to be strong, to be self-sufficient. What unconditional love means. I'm going to be in relationship with their dad so they never have to choose. Mm-hmm. I am going to leave, get, tell them I love them and pinch their butts 24 <laughs> hours a day so they know that mom loves me hard, you know, and, and fiercely. That moment was for me like, I'm going to change the story. I'm not going to do what maybe is expected. I am going to change the story because I never want any of my girls to feel 
what I felt. Mm. So that day was for me like, I got this. You know what? What I love about this, Claudia, is just the simplicity of that moment of realizing that it was about them. If, If every parent going through a divorce could look at those children like that and say, this isn't about me. And make those efforts so that you're you're not damaging the relationship between your children and their other parent, regardless of what happened between you. Right. So what happened next? Were you able to do that? And was your husband a participant in that? He was um, the first two years after our divorce was hard because he didn't want the divorce. Mm. Uh, but there were some circumstances that didn't align with my pillars, my values, my mm-hmm. the way I wanted my mm-hmm. life to be. And I made that decision. And there were people that told me, don't do it. Look mm-hmm. the other way. Don't do oh. it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to be able to look at myself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And to model for my children. I need to be able to tell my kids, you know, your dad and I, and that was our story for many, many years. I mean, I, I think my kids found out a lot of things after he passed. He passed two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a stroke and I was in Peru and he called me and the phone call uh, dropped. Um, so I never really talked to him before the stroke. I talked to him a week before because he used to call me like if we were still married for some reason. <laughs> my husband, you know, my 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 current husband, that's how you say mm-hmm. <laughs> he yes. is very pa- he was very patient about it. But <clears throat> um yeah, he was on board. He understood that if we work together the girls were going to be happier mm. and we never stopped being a family. You know, I mean, I had parties in my house with him and my ex sister-in-law is one of my closest friends. And mm-hmm. she still introduced me to my, she goes, this is my sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, my kids enjoy pictures for Sadie's and proms and stuff like that with two dads, you know, I mean, mm-hmm that was important to me that they never felt that they had to choose mm-hmm. um, never a bad thing about me or him was told to the girls, you know, it, mm-hmm. it was never your mom this or your dad this. No, right. but that's a, that's a choice we made together. Yes. We, we, for both of us, the girls were the most important thing in the world, period. And if only that was more common, oh my gosh, but it does take two. That's why I asked because as, as a parent, whether that's the mother or the father or whichever partner it is, um, even if you have the best interests of your children in mind, if your partner doesn't, if they don't see the value in it, I, I don't know that there's anything we can do about that, but I, I love that moment. So tell me about a moment when your kids were a little bit more grown up that you knew that was right. Like you're like, okay, I, this, this all happened for a reason. This is where I am now. And, and the reason I ask that is because I, I think about when um, my mother, one time she asked me if I resented her leaving my father and we, we were all still close. I mean, it, it's, it was hard of course, cause it's always hard, mm-hmm. but I remember saying, um, the only thing that I could resent is that you didn't do it earlier. And she got very sensitive about that for good reason. You know, she thought I was criticizing you in some way. I said, mom, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying that when you left, it gave me the model that I needed to see that you were doing what was right for you, that you, you decided this isn't working for me and I'm unhappy and something's got to change. I needed to see you do that. And I'm, I'm grateful to have watched you grow and transform your life as a result of making that decision. 
So was there a moment when you had that, like, oh, yeah. You know, I listen to my girls sometimes coach other people. Oh, yes. I love that. <laughs> I love it. And I, you know, I giggle with myself. Um, when I was a kid, my dad said to me, you always have a choice, even if you have your panties in your ankles. Oh, <laughs> my mom and my dad were very different. My mom is very conservative. My dad was a bohemian. So my dad was, you know, uh, yes. anything to me. Um, and I said that to my kids. And this is a little story, but it, 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 I'm going to answer your, mm -hmm. your question. So one day, like at 1130 at night, I get a phone call from my daughter telling me, can you please come and pick me up? Now, I had certain things with the girls that um, my ex-husband um, was on board. So we had like a safe word or, you know, um, if you call me and you want us to pick, us, pick you up and, you know, your friends are around, you just throw that word in between. So we know you're faking it. So you don't look like you're calling your mommy or whatever. Yes, you know? We had those two, the cues. Yeah. <laughs> yes. so she's like, you know, uh, mom, can you come and pick me up? And I'm like, 11.30. And I'm like, okay, let's go. So I, I told my husband, we we're watching a movie. And I said, we got to go pick up Talia. We got to go pick up Talia. So we get to the party. And I think she was 15, no, 16, because I my kids had rules that other kids didn't have because I'm Latin. So it was like, no, you cannot say until one o'clock, you know, 1130. Right. You have a curfew. You have some boundaries. You know, yeah. Stuff like that. And funny thing, they never thought I was strict. They thought I was normal you know, <laughs> to be like right. that. Right. Yes. So anyway, so she gets in the car. And when, no, when I get to the house, she's sitting right outside the door. and. She walks into the car, she sits in the car and she kind of, you know, get herself down. Like, so the window yeah. was by her eyes only, like uh -huh. she was hiding. And I'm in the front seat. My husband is driving and she's in the back. And I said, what happened? And she goes, well, you know, you always told me that I can change my mind, even if my panties are in my, <laughs> my I'm, I'm hyperventilating at that moment because I don't right. know exactly what's happening. The context of that comment. Up, right? Right. So, and, and, and I'm thinking, okay, but you have a purity ring with your sisters. Why is you talking about this to me right now? You know. So she goes, um, so I was there and then um, so-and-so told me, which was her boyfriend, um, told me to go upstairs and there was... Um, disco ball and you and I talk about how special my first time has to be and I said there's no way I'm doing this with the disco ball on top of me <laughs> and he said to me if you don't if we don't do it then we're through and then I call you so you can come and pick me up and in that oh. moment I was like yes I have the good kid you know all this work that we have done together has given her the self-control in in and self integrity and integrity to say this is no. not for me i'm not doing this with a disco ball this is <laughs> a special moment for me and i'm and my husband is driving and i'm not even turning around i'm looking at it and i'm looking with the side of my eye to my husband and my husband goes I can't I love this story on so many levels and one of the things that just popped into my head was when our boys were little and they always sat in the back seat because we had, you know, car seats or whatever. Mm -hmm. I remember that's where the best conversations would happen because they couldn't see our faces. They couldn't see our expressions. So they would talk about things and not be turned off or have a hesitation because they see a change in our expression. Those backseat moments are so critical in Precious. your relationship. If Precious. you're listening to them. My kids will tell me, well, my kids, my girls, I only have daughters and they are, they have no filter with me. I mean, sometimes there are things that I don't need to know. And they're adults now. Okay. They're 25, they? 25, 26 and 29. Okay. So there are things that I don't need to know, but they still share it. So um, being in the back, I mean, being in the car, taking them to school because I would do the carpool too and all that stuff. Um listening to them talking, I was like, oh my God, you know, I wish I wouldn't have that willingness 
to share when I was their age and how precious it is that they feel the trust and the no, no judgment and, and, the, and the love, you know, the unconditional love to just say whatever they feel. And that is, I mean, any moment like that, I pat myself in the back. I have a moment and I'm like, you know what? You're good. This is, you know, this is all part of what you had to go through and experience to be the coach you are now. Have you, have you had an influence on a mother with teenagers that um, has been one of those moments? I started coaching without knowing that I was coaching. I think that's common. So you know, Claudia, that's... Mm-hmm. My kids' friends will come to the house and they will say, mom, because they all call me mom. They still call me mom, even though they're all adults. Mom, mm-hmm. can I talk to you for a moment? Or Talia will come or Isabella will come and says, mom, my friend so-and-so wants to talk to you. And then we will see and my daughters will say, it's okay. It's okay. Tell her it's okay. And they will uh-huh. open up and tell me to the point that one of Talia's friends, I'm not going to say the name, even though her mom and I are friends and she knows that's her, um, called me one day and she said, mom, can you come and pick me up? And she was maybe 17 years old and she got in the car. I went to pick her up. She got in the car and she had had, uh, she had made love with her boyfriend for the first time. And the guy was a little bit of an ass. And he said to her, well, you need to go now because my parents are coming. And she didn't want to call her mom. So she called me and I went to pick her up and she was devastated, devastated. And I said, you know what? This was an experience. You get to choose when your first time is going to be. And you're not going to allow this moment to define you, who you are, how your story goes. You're not doing this. This stays between you and I. And the next time, you're not going to be impulsive. You're going to think if that person is worthy of you. And then if you decide to do whatever you want to do, you're going to make sure that it's exactly how you dreamed about it. And now she's married and she's uh, expecting her first baby. Oh, that's so exciting. I know. And the minute she found out, she called me. And she said, you can't say anything to anyone because I haven't told anyone, anyone. She said, I'm waiting for mom to come on Tuesday because I want to tell her in person, but I couldn't help it anymore. I had to call you. So, I mean, yeah, I started with those teenagers and I learned some, I learned from my kids every day, Mm -hmm. every day, even if sometimes I will turn around and I said, Oh my God, lady, have another fry, which is so judgmental and wrong. Okay? <laughs> but as you say in one of your podcasts, you know, you first, you're not responsible for your first thought. So. <laughs> I love that you got that. <laughs> well, because sometimes we say things it's and liberating, right? Take, you know, like, like at a spaghetti, we want to take those words back because they're like so not aligned with who we want to be. Exactly. And one of my kids will turn around and she goes, mom, that's not nice. And I go, I know that was so wrong. I'm so sorry. You know? Mm-hmm. So that shows me that number one, they have the right values. And number two, they feel comfortable to call me on my, you know, whenever Bullshit. They, Go yeah, ahead. You whenever can say they, that. <laughs> they feel like it. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because the same way that I am, the teacher sometimes, I am the student sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I'm welcoming that with open arms. I think that's what makes the best coaches are the people who are continuing to learn. And particularly those of us that have aha moments as a result of a coaching experience. And um, I told somebody the other day, well, when I was talking to my coach and she's like, wait, you have a coach? And I said, any good coach has their own coach because you can't do this alone. It's a huge responsibility. And if you're not learning about yourself and where your blind spots are and where you're getting into your own way, then you can't help others find those things. You just can't. Not, not in a way that's relatable. 
you're not able to hold yourself accountable all the time. Exactly. You know, sometimes you need somebody to tell you, you know, what is your responsibility on this? How, how could you change the situation? What you could have done differently, you know, and, and make you think about it and own it. And then the next time handle the situation differently. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So as we come full circle back to this, I, I'm I'm so into these ideas, and I'm I'm writing a book about those concepts of identity, authenticity, and relevance. And um, I'm curious when you think of what you bring to everything you do. Can you tell a story about that? Def- that describes that. And what I'm asking for is um, I think about it as your why or your purpose. Mm-hmm. And in my book, I talk a little bit about how I found my purpose. And it was through a series of events that then I could look back and realize I was bringing the same person to every one of those events. Everywhere I sat, I was bringing that same concept, which um, the the story I would tell to define that or to describe that is when in my last job where I worked in an office, the the guest seats in my office are were occupied at least once every single day with somebody just coming in needing a safe place to talk and bounce ideas off. And almost every day, every day, one of those seats was occupied at some point during the day. Somebody saying, I don't know how to handle this. What do you think I should do with? And um, I'm trying to do this and I need some strategy ideas. And I realized that's what I was bringing to every environment was that safe environment to speak, to share ideas, to be vulnerable. And I, I am not super comfortable with emotion generally. I'm better at it now than I was 10 years ago. But in general, um, I, I realize that I'm imagining one particular moment when somebody was sitting in that seat and she was struggling with this idea of travel. And I knew her strengths finder results because we had done something as an organization before. And I said, and I just kind of walked her through, well, what's the worst possible scenario here? Mm -hmm. And I remember by the time she left, her whole demeanor had changed. She walked in with her shoulders slumped and nervous. And uh, because she had this travel coming up and she was scared about it. And by the time she left, her shoulders were thrown back. She had a smile on her face. And I remember that moment of thinking that's that I was exactly where I needed to be for this person. So I'd love to hear your story of that. So going back to my first um, beliefs of not being worthy, Mm-hmm. Um, I learned through the, through the process of finding myself that what I was craving for was to belong. Um, I, I feel that everybody in different percentage, I don't know if that's the right word, way to say it, needs to belong. And, you know, me being an immigrant coming to the States or um, my parents getting divorced or, you know, my whatever things happened to me in my life, I always felt the need of belonging, you know, and, and being part of it. And I was talking to my husband about this yesterday. And I said, in a world where everybody wants to belong, people do the craziest things to be different. And he said to me, they do it for attention because since they don't feel they belong, they want to have the attention. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting concept. So Going back to your question, I always want people around me to feel they belong, that they are not, um, that they don't fit in. I welcome them. And I welcome them from a place of love, obviously, but I welcome them with my whole being. Um, Talking to them, I'm a hot person which is weird for people, you know? I mean, I had a situation, I had a situation that people back up, you know, like, why, why, why are you coming so close to me? You know, I'm like, I, I was going to give you a hug. 
You know, <laughs> it's like I'm no, in the same boat. <laughs> that's okay. You know, yes, definitely big hugger. Yeah, I love it because we connect. You know, I mean, when my kids come home, my I see my kids almost every day, even though they, you know, they bought a house five minutes from me. I mean. I see my kids every day. I, I love to see my kids every day and I love to hug them. So when somebody comes to me um, in, in, in my presence, not comes to me, but it's in my presence, I want them to feel welcome. And my way of making them feel welcome is not only being kind to them verbally, but also hugging them and making them feel, you know, you belong here. You, can, you're, you are okay being here. Like you say, you're safe. Open up if you need to. If you don't, if you just need me to sit next to you, I can do that too. Whatever you need, I'm here. But don't ever feel that this is not a place where you could be. And I see it sometimes, you know, I go to a place. I I give you an example. We went to Europe, my husband and I. And in the way back, there was a girl in front of me and we were traveling in business class. And the girl was sitting in the seat right in front of me. And the flight attendant comes and she was coming from Spain. She didn't speak English. And we were in British Air, Airway. Um, so she said, and anybody here speaks Spanish? And, and I'm, I speak a few languages. So I immediately, I raised my, my husband already knows, you know, she's going to raise her hand. She's going to, rec- yeah, she's going to volunteer gonna for this. Say, I <laughs> so I said to her, um, I explained to her the menu. She ordered whatever she needed to order. Um, she was fine, whatever. And then like an hour through the flight, um, I already had taken my sleeping pills. So mind you, I wasn't totally aware of what was happening, but she, I see her that she's still sitting down. And we were in those seats that you can, so I up from the top and I go, you can lay down. And she goes, what do you mean? And I said, your, your, your chair, push that button, you can lay down. But when you, um, when, when you go in, in business and they give you the blanket and then they give you a thing that goes in the chair, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So she had that on top of her. I thought it was adorable. Oh. I thought it was adorable. Right. And she looked at me and she's like, this goes on top. And this is a woman that was probably... 26, 27 years old, but it was oh, her first time yeah. traveling there. And I remember times when people, and I know that nobody can make you feel anything, but yeah, they have made me feel uncomfortable. Or I didn't belong or what are you doing here? Or, you know, I mean, right. I, yeah, I it happens everywhere. experiences mm-hmm. and I didn't want her to feel that she didn't belong. So mm-hmm. I said to her, that one goes on the, in your seat and the other one, da, 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 da. And she goes, it, oh, I'm sorry. She said, it's my first time. And I said, sweetheart, I also had, I also had my first time and I didn't know what to do with that. So don't worry about it. We've all been there and blah, blah, blah. And in a minute, her face wasn't any more like embarrassed. She was getting a kick out of her using the little seat cover as a blanket, right. you know? <laughs> and I think it's so important that if we are, kind enough with everyone and we help them feel like they belong, this world would definitely be a better place. You know, nobody would be feeling like, why am I here? Or why are you here? You know, why not all being open and embrace everyone and help them feel like they belong? Mm, Definitely. I'm, I'm listening so intently because I just had a conversation on my podcast a few weeks ago with Paul Howry, who is all about belonging at work. And um, before that, I, I had a great conversation with Brooke Errol, who also speaks on belonging. So all of this is resonating strongly with me because I've been hearing this message a lot and thinking through what that looks like and Paul and I talked about the distinction between fitting in and belonging and how important it is that we don't confuse those two. And individually, I don't need to fit in. That is, and, and the irony is that almost every single person I talk to has said at some point, I just never really fit in. And they, they, every time I hear it, it just gives me this little heartache because I think, 
why would you want to? Right. How, how about instead thinking about how you can create a place of belonging? My friend Shelly Brown is a keynote speaker, wrote a book called Weird Girl Adventures, all about how those things that kept us from fitting in are exactly what make us um, perfect candidates for helping people feel like they belong. Right. Right. So being able to being able to wrap your mind around what that looks like for each of us, because it looks different. Mm-hmm. Yours is a different environment than the one that I create. And yet we both have this, this desire, we're compelled to bring that to every place that we sit. And I'm I'm so honored to hear that story from you. Thank you. So um, as we come full circle, I would love to hear about a recent client that you experienced where you were able to bring that dynamic into the room where maybe it didn't start that way or just like this young woman on the plane, they started out not knowing what to do and you brought them kind of a sense of comfort and peace to be able to transform, even if it's, you know, baby steps, which it always is in some way or another. Yeah. And continue to be, you know, mm-hmm. we keep on growing. Um, one of my, I don't want to say my favorite clients, but one of one of the clients that made me realize the impact that I can have in somebody's life um, was this lady that was in a very abusive relationship. Um, And I had a a very abusive relationship when I was younger. Um, So I empathize with her in that area. And I thought our meetings, which at the beginning she used to come with her sister because she was not brave enough to do it alone. So she Mm -hmm. had to tell her husband, I'm going with my sister someplace. Oh. Mm -hmm. She was afraid to disclose where that she was working on herself that she mm-hmm. felt that it that would be threatening to him right she felt like she had enough but she wasn't strong enough to make that decision so she needed to figure out how that's how she came to me i need you to help me figure out how i can leave my husband okay mm-hmm. and i end up empowering her Little by little, one little step at a time from, you know, walking around the block, taking walks around the blocks, go making friends. Um, I mean, her life turned 180. Um, She went to court. She asked for a divorce. I got one of my friends to represent her pro pro bono. Mm -hmm. And then um, she now lives in her home with her two boys and her life changed completely. And that, that for me was a moment where I realized that I can make somebody's life better. Mm -hmm. And what a privilege it is to have that opportunity, Mm -hmm. you know, and what a privilege was that she trusted me because I, I struggle with trust and I got to remember, I got to remind myself, you know, that it's okay to trust, but I struggle with that. Yet I have somebody in my chair, you know, talking Mm -hmm. to me about all this thing and me telling her, trust the process. You must trust the process. You have what it takes. You are capable. You can do this, whatever it is, you can do this. And that for me was like, I really felt like a coach, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Yes, I do. There are those moments where you just feel like I finally asked the right question or finally I said the right thing. At least early in my coaching, I would beat myself up over the most ridiculous things. I'd have these internal dialogues after a coaching session, like you could have done this. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you ask this question? And um, I remember hitting a point where I got into that stride of asking the question that they needed to grapple with. It's always a hard question. Mm -hmm. And how do you present it in a way that's not 
um, going to release this defensiveness. And, and I, I love that that's what you were able to do with her is guide her in the way that she needed to be guided. Some, some of us, we need a kick, but others, she clearly needed that, that slow burn. She needed one step at a time. Okay. What are you going to do tomorrow? Right. As opposed to what are you going to do for the next two weeks? It was no, just let's start with tomorrow and see where that leads. I mean, to the point that she started to come to see me alone. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I mean, when, when her ex-husband saw her in court, he he couldn't even recognize her because she went through the process of asking him to leave. So Mm -hmm. he didn't see her in a period of time. And then he got a letter from the lawyer. You cannot come close to her. You had a restraining order. So when he saw her in court, it was like, who is this woman? Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I mean, I felt very proud of myself, you know? And I was a hundred times more proud of her. Right. Well, I'm imagining you sitting, were you in the courtroom with, oh, no. you? she just told you the story. She told me, no, her sister told me, that when she walked in, he was sitting down and he turned around and he turned around again to look at her because he didn't know who she was. You know, oh my gosh. Imagine changed. Think about that story that her sister is telling this story and she's hearing her sister tell this story. Think about what that does for her confidence and her um her evidence that she can do something. You know, yeah. you have to start building up that evidence. I did this once I could do it again. Mm-hmm. I did this, I can do more. And that story, you know, the the whole point of what I work on with storytelling is you can change those stories if you just shift your perspective. And in this case, the perspective is her sister's. Yeah. And she's hearing the story about her, about her life from her sister and her sister's perspective. And when it comes from somebody you respect, admire and love, it can, it absolutely has the power to change your internal dialogue about what that story looked like. Yeah. I think for, for me, empowering um, another human is the most rewarding thing. My husband tells me that's my high, you know, mm-hmm. it's really my high. I mean, and not only empowering them, if I have the possibility to do something for somebody that somehow is going to better their life, they don't even need to know I did it. But I want to see the <laughs> It's so funny. My husband says that to me all the time. He says, I know you did that. You know? Like, he goes, I know That was you. you. That, that has your you. name written all I'm over like, it. <laughs> don't say anything, but I'm just watching them. And I'm, re- I say rejoicing. I don't know. Yes, rejoicing. You're and joyful. Like, it makes me happy to the tears, you know? It's, oh my God, this is good. This is, this was a good day. Mm. I love that. I just do. And that is the most, I don't know. I I think it's the most important part of being in any kind of advisory role is that that's what lights you up is seeing your, your client or your friend or whoever you're mentoring succeeding Mm. in a way that makes them more confident. And you know, the ripple effect of what you've done because they're going to do it for the next person and everything they touch is going to be different than it would have been without your influence on it. We can do that every day. I mean, staying forward, my gosh, you can do that every, and I say that to my girls, you know, giving a compliment to somebody that is in the, in the line of the grocery store or Mm -hmm. buying a coffee for somebody that is behind you or whatever you can do, you know, to pay forward and, and, and give that to somebody mm-hmm. is going to change their day. And then they're going to be more inclined to do something nice for somebody else. The ripple mm-hmm. effect is amazing when we do nice things for others. It Love is. That. Absolutely is. Well, let's um, wrap this up. And I would love to hear uh, for our listeners, what are you working on right now? And where can people reach you? And just for our listeners, you don't have to drop everything and grab a pen or pause this. Mm-hmm. Um, we will have all of this in the show notes at elkinsconsulting.com. But from your, from the mouth of Claudia herself, how do people get in touch with you? What are you working on? And what are the resources that you have available to our listeners? 
Well, I do uh, abundance coaching. Everything can be found on my website, uh, brightersdays.com, which is the name of my book. And uh, brighterdays.com. Brightersdaysbook.com. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I have, um, uh, how do you call that? Uh, journals for uh, men, women, and children there. I have a book that I have published. Um, I'm all about empowering. So, you know, um, I feel very blessed that I am here with you. I thank you very much for the opportunity. I enjoy it so much. And, uh, and we're here, you know, to serve. Mm-hmm. And that is my purpose. That is my why. Mm, I love it. And brighter days indeed. We, I mean, especially now, I think we need to see that that's possible and that we can control that to some extent, depending on how we approach it. So Claudia, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. I'm putting some finishing touches on a new course, Get the Offer, Job Interview Storytelling, that will be available online in early fall 2022. It is so important that this course is truly relevant, helpful, and useful for my clients. So I'd love your help. Would you please email me at sarah at elkinsconsulting.com or complete the form that's linked on the blog post associated with this podcast episode to add your ideas for the course? I'd love to know your biggest challenges when it comes to job interviews. So the content of my online course is exactly what you need. I appreciate your help. Thanks in advance. Mm